Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shift podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. So hello, everyone. So diets. I know this is the time of the year when we are all about to be bombarded with ads about them. And I don't think I can say it any louder or any more times than I already have here on this podcast or in previous shows that diets don't work. So you know what? I am more than happy to bring on a guest who will do that for me. She's going to say it again. We're going to talk about it. And I really hope that for any of you who still struggle with believing that you need to diet or that they do quote unquote work, that you will have a different perspective on that after you listen to today's show. Or at the very least, you'll start to think that perhaps diets aren't the solution that you think they are. So who is this guest? Stephanie Dore is a clinical nutritionist, certified intuitive eating counselor, host of two top-ranking podcasts in the non-diet industry, and creator of the Going Beyond the Food Method. She founded Undiet Your Life, a global coaching and online training platform focused on helping women make peace with food and their body so that they can live a fulfilling life right now. She is also the founder of Undiet Your Coaching Practice, which is a global professional training platform. I'm really excited to have her on. All right. Well, Stephanie, welcome to the show. Excited to have you here. I'm excited to meet everybody that's listening to us and be part of your world for a few minutes today. Well, yeah, a few minutes. Um, because we were saying we could probably talk forever, but I know. Um, <laughs> we have to cut this short somehow. But um, you have a really interesting story. So, um, and I love people coming on here and sharing their stories. Um, so would you mind, you know, sharing yours with us? Absolutely. So today I am Stephanie Dozier, clinical nutritionist and uh, certified intuitive eating counselor. But 25 years ago, I, well, actually 35 years ago today, I was walked into a church basement to go to my first Weight Watcher meeting at the age of 12 years old. So that propelled me in a relationship to my body that was from the age of 12. As a teenager, your body is wrong and we have to fix it. And the way to fix it is by controlling food. And that propelled me into 25 years straight of hating myself, hating my body, thinking something was wrong with me and doing literally all the diets in the world. <laughs> so I like to say that I have a PhD in dieting. I can like talk to you about dieting back and forth. I know it all, been through it all. And at the age of 39, combined with 25 years of dieting and other things happening in my life, I my body collapsed. I started to have severe panic attacks to the point where I was hospitalized and I had to change my life mm -hmm. and I came to the world of 
the non-diet approach through that journey. And I am now practicing exclusively in practice, um, intuitive eating and body image, and then the mindset component of mm. helping women leave diet culture and leave a peaceful relationship to food and their body so they can actually focus on other things in their life. Well, I'm sure people listening are saying, yeah, I've tried yeah. every diet too. I was on Weight Watchers at a young age too, right? Or maybe even people yeah. listening are still on Weight Watchers. I can't believe yeah. they're still in existence. I mean, honestly, but um, yeah. So, I, you know, if someone's listening kind of going, how do you stop dieting? Because people do, they do that. They go from diet to diet to diet. And I mean, I'm, you know, calling myself out here too. I did that too. Yeah. Um, how do you, you know, there's this moment you talked about, right? Like you ended up yeah. in the hospital and sometimes it does take something that big to, mm. to kind of shift something, but sometimes people don't have that moment. So how how do people just get to that point or how do they stop getting, you know, there? I find in my practice that it's either one of two things. There's a drastic moment mm -hmm. right there. And not necessarily often related to health, but there's a drastic moment in their relationship with someone else. There's a very deep emotional moment that makes them challenge a lot of things in their life. Mm -hmm. And in that bucket of things they challenge is often how much energy they are spending on trying to control change their body or their health. And then the other piece is literally the more and more you and me on our podcast and the world talks about diet culture. Mm -hmm. For many women, it's a what? What do you like? What? This is the thing that has been impacting me my whole life and nobody named it for me before. And as soon as we name it and explain it, there's this visceral emotion, like, holy shit, like, this is what has a grip on me, and actually has a name, and I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most powerful thing is knowing that you're not alone. And for me, um, I had a, a second moment in my professional practice when I engage into stopping as a nutritionist to prescribe meal plan and like controlling food. Mm -hmm. And it's when I realized that, and this is like nine years ago, nine years ago, nobody talked about the anti-diet movement or the non-diet approach. Like there's none of that, but it was a book that was just been released at that time from uh, Dr. Lindo Bacon called Health at Every Size. And it was not known, like it was not a top seller of anything, but I read that book. I'm like, holy you mean there's people all around the world like me mm -hmm. and then that sense of community that sense of it's not my fault I'm not alone gave me the courage to change it gave me the courage to look into something else mm -hmm. yeah that sense of not aloneness right like yeah I think Absolutely. that's the powerful thing. That's actually yeah. something that motivates me to do this podcast and have people on to talk because anyone listening, like if you're sitting at home alone and all you're looking at online or hearing about is this diet, that diet, this, you know, you think everyone's dieting. You think that's what everyone does, right? Yeah. That's the norm. 
But how do you know that other people are struggling or suffering or going from diet to diet to diet if nobody's talking about it? Yeah. And knowing that it's not your fault. Like for me, that was like, I remember one of the moments where it really like came alive for me. And I, and I was reading that book and I realized that it was not my fault that I was sold a system, I was sold a set of ideas. There was other people doing differently. And I could, if I choose, if I chose at that moment to do differently. Mm-hmm. Nobody had given me that option in 25 years. That, like, like there was never laid out an option that I could do something else. So when that option became available, I became curious and wanted to investigate it. Yeah, and how how mind blowing too. Talking about toxic diet culture, right? The concept that you know the BMI is king at this moment, right? The charts is everywhere. The concept yeah. that like, oh wait, you can be healthy at any weight at any size. Because I don't know about how you were, but for me, I was like, I have to be in that category. I have to be a certain weight to be healthy, because that's what diet culture tells us you're only healthy if you're a certain size if you look a certain way if you're not then you're unhealthy and that's a belief of probably people listening still have it's very ingrained in the belief system and to say like wait if you're in a larger body if you're not in that bmi category if you're labeled whatever you're not healthy like it's mind-blowing right it's mind-blowing but at the same time I'm going to share with everyone this exercise. Um, I'm assuming we have a greater ratio of self-identified women listening to this. Mm-hmm. So I'd like you to do this exercise with me. Close your eyes. Not if you're driving. Don't close your <laughs> eyes. Maybe focus on the wheel. But I want you to think about your circle of close friends, females, moms, aunts, and and close friend around you and look at people who have been unfortunately affected by cancer and be really honest with yourself and look at their appearance, their weight, and be honest with yourself. Is it only the fat people that had the unfortunate experience of cancer or going through cancer right now? Or is it a mixture of people in small body, thin body, and people of large body? And when I do this exercise with my people, it's one of those visceral moments where actually, Stephanie, it's true. Like it's not just people in small body that are healthy. There's people of all sizes and there's people of all sizes in my environment that are in large body that have not been affected by this. So then I ask the question, so then is it true that weight is causing health issue? Because if it was, People in large body in your close circle would all be to some kind of degree in a disease state, just like I would. Like I live in a large body. If the rule was true, then I would be unhealthy or having some kind of sickness. And I don't. And those people don't in your life. So then what? Is it really about health or is it about something else? Mm-hmm. Right. And and to your point, too, there's a lot of people in bodies doing very unhealthy things to get in bodies that 
they're not meant to be and their bodies are so small and that's causing health problems, right? Et voilà. Yeah. Voilà. There's people of all shapes. And if you're really honest with yourself and you take out your bias filter, you have no choice but to see that it's true, that health is accessible in all sizes. And it's also true that people in smaller body can do very harmful things to their health. And sometimes it's in the name of being thin, like dieting for 25 years. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah, absolutely. That's not doing your body any good. Yeah. And then so I want to take it a step further. So people will then say to me, so then why when I go to the doctor, <laughs> why am I being either weighed or challenged on my weight? I have to be honest with you, as a medical professional myself, and your doctor is too, we've all been trained, like years of training that instructed us that fat is unhealthy and that one of the most effective thing we can do for people's health is to help them lose weight. And we've been trained for hours and hours and hours, and we were raised as professional in a very weight bias environment, an environment that shame people, not only shame them because they're fat, but shame them because they're bad people, they're lazy, they're stupid, they're not smart. So it's no surprise that your doctor does what he does or she does in the appointment that you go to is because it's not that they choose to, is they don't know anything else. That's how they've been trained. So then the power has to reside in you to set your boundaries, to decide how, where, and what kind of treatment you will receive for your health and your body. And I'm glad you're pointing that out. You know, um, I think, you know, I've said it several times on here before in the past, but I think it needs to be said again and again and again, because unfortunately I hear it still all the time, you know, oh, well, I need to lose weight for my health. I know. Why is it so loud? Why is that so pervasive when it's not true? I want to say two things to that. I want to say because of us, medical professional, being so loud about it and receiving you with that, it's because of your weight. So you, we are entrusted individuals that are supposed to be knowing everything about health. We're telling you that. So you're... You're receiving this information from people that are supposed to know everything about health. And then two, it is a covert desire, I like to say. Mm. It's a righteous way of claiming a desire to lose weight, right? It's like, well, I know there's people, like I hear that often, like I, I know people at all weight can be healthy, but I just want to lose weight for my health. Is it really about your health or is it about just your desire to be conforming to the standard of what your body should look like? Is mm -hmm. it your insecurity and you're kind of claiming it's about your health, but really it's about other things. That'd be my challenge to you. Mm -hmm. Well, there's something honest about that, right? It's, it's, <laughs> that's another part that's out there with this toxic diet yes. culture stuff. So how do you help people work through that? Because it's real. It's, it's, it's honestly real. Absolutely. Well, first we name things. Mm -hmm. Like we name things. So let's name fat phobia. Let's 
that's so we talked about diet culture. Your listener probably know like it's the system of belief that plays virtue on thinner bodies. Mm-hmm. And fat phobia is kind of the cousin of diet culture. And it goes along and it says fat people are ugly. They're terrible. They're lazy. They don't have the same right as thin people. Uh, we're going to oppress them. We're not going to allow them to live the same life experience. We're going to reduce their medical coverage. We're going to make it more expensive for them to have access to insurance. Like there's so many things in our society that are structured to make your life harder mm-hmm. if you don't conform to the standard that your body should be. And that's called fat phobia. That's called weight stigma. That's called weight bias. And it's real. So it's 100% normal for you to want to live in a small body. Mm-hmm. You did nothing wrong. Like you aren't broken because you want to be in a smaller body. So meet yourself with a lot of compassion. So we're normalizing, naming the system, naming why you feel this way. And then we meet our desire to be in the smaller body with compassion and with love and with kindness and with safety. It's normal you want that. However, is that going to be the solution to whatever is troubling you right now? Is that really what's going to make you healthy? Is it really what's going to make you more confident? Because many women are chasing smaller body because they want to be confident, right? They want to show up in a room and own the room. They want to be able to have boundary. Is that losing weight and being in a smaller body? Is that what's going to make you more confident? Is that what's going to make you more healthy? And unfortunately, when we look at the other side of all that research and all that knowledge that we supposedly had, it's not the answer. Mm-hmm. Like confidence is not going to be flourishing because you live in a smaller body and your health may not be flourishing as a result of you losing weight. So what if we focus on other things? What if we say, okay, you want to focus on health? Let's look at the 99 other things out of 100 that can impact your health. And we just take that body mass index, we park it to the side, and we work on your health on all these 99 other things. What do you think is going to happen to your health if we focus on 99 other things over here versus only obsessing about that one thing? I guarantee you, you will have a different experience of your health by broadening the scope of how you're helping and supporting your body being healthy the people listening are saying okay i'm listening mm-hmm. what are those 99 other things so we're, we're not going to name 99 because we'll be here till tomorrow right <laughs> right but what can we just talk about mental health mm-hmm. can we just go to the basic of saying mental health and people are they're hearing more and more about mental health but like really how is that <laughs> impacting my health Well, very good question. Let me explain it to you. Then you can make your own decision to see if your mental health can impact your overall health. So your mental health is the way you think, the repetitive thoughts that you have in your head. It's one of those part of it. So 
let's imagine you're constantly shaming yourself or criticizing yourself because of your choices and not adhering to the plan and like all the things we say to ourselves because we're not in the right body. These thoughts occupy space in your brain. They occupy time. Because how many of us lay on the couch at night scrolling through social media while having a terrible <laughs> thought pattern in our brain, right? Mm-hmm. It occupies time, resources, and it creates a whole bunch of emotion in your body. We know that by science. It's not me making this up. The mm-hmm. way you think creates your emotional space. So if you have self-critical thoughts, fear-based thoughts of getting sick and people commenting on your body, you will create anxiety in your body. You'll create stress. You will create fear in your body. You Mm -hmm. won't create joy and happiness from criticizing yourself and your body. And we know in science, without digging into the science, that the hormone called cortisol that is produced when the body thinks there's a threat creates inflammation in the body. Mm -hmm. Cortisol leads to inflammation. And let's just pick one disease that is impacted by inflammation. There's many of them. Let's think diabetes, type 2 diabetes, right? Type 2 diabetes is strongly influenced by your emotional state and by the way you think. So what if instead of trying to cut all the sugar out of your life and losing 50 pounds, you focus on having more acceptance-based thoughts, more loving thoughts? Reducing the amounts of anxiety and stress, reducing the amount of cortisol, and reducing the inflammation in your body. Could you impact your risk of diabetes? Are you willing to do that? Or are you like, well, that's not worth it. It's more effective with weight loss. The choice is in you. I can't force you. I'm proposing you something else. And that's the idea of um, a weight-neutral approach to health where we're saying, We're going to focus on everything else except the weight of the body. What else can we do? So weight neutral approach to health is focused on giving you options that have nothing to do with weight loss. And that's the future of healthcare as we move forward. Cool. Right. So, but we don't look at it that way, right? You go to the doctors and they say, you have type 2 diabetes. What, Mm. what What are people told? People are told to lose weight and to reduce sugar and to go on a low-carb diet. No, somebody has an eating disorder. What happens? And they're told this. What What happens? Like, what choice does this individual make? Is that your question? Well, right. This is this is scary for somebody who has an eating disorder and they're told this, right? This Absolutely. is a scary thing. But here's where I stop for me the intervention. The intervention stops is, why do you believe you absolutely have to do what your doctor says? Why are you giving away your power to your doctor? Mm -hmm. Because part of disordered eating and eating disorder in my eyes and in my practice, what I've seen over and over is a lack or is a disempowerment, a feeling of completely out of power. Mm -hmm. So to me, part of like if you're talking about like aligning eating disorder and type 2 diabetes, a lot of it has to do with helping the person with eating disorder having thoughts that will create them to feel empowered of their health. So if I have an eating disorder and I go to the doctor, the first thing I will get them to do is to not tell me anything about diet. Mm 
Like you can choose to do that as a patient. Make sure that it's noted at the top of your file that you have an eating disorder and conversation about nutrition guidance should be respected and taken off the plate. <laughs> so other question here, right? Is I've always wondered like, and where ever is weight loss a treatment <laughs> for any illness? Where does that ever like said that that will help manage or cure any illness? I've, I've never known that to be true because anybody of any size can have type two diabetes. They're not going to say that to somebody in a smaller body. Where does that come from? It's very simple. It comes from short-term studies. So I'm not going to dive into the world of studies, but mm -hmm. enough said that a number, the research environment is just like the medical environment. It's a very fat-phobic environment. Mm -hmm. So a lot of health conditions are tested research studies, studied in alignment to any weight loss tactic. So in short-term study, we're talking here four, six, eight, 12 weeks, usually a maximum of 16 weeks, they will put people on meal plan, low carb or no sugar meal plan, and then they will look at the blood marker and then they will come to the conclusion after 16 weeks that the meal plan on low carb or no sugar had a positive effect on the type 2 diabetes marker. But 16 weeks. <laughs> and then they will associate it with the food. They will not associate to all the other things that the patient was doing at the same time, mm. like movement and new lifestyle. Because typically when people get on a quote-unquote diet, they get into a lifestyle change. They go to bed earlier. <laughs> They're like doing some mental health stuff. They're moving their body. But those research are highly focused on just the meal plan. Mm -hmm. And it only research on 16 weeks. And those research come out and the doctor says, well, that's the solution. But they're not looking at the fact that it's only 16 weeks. What happened after? Mm -hmm. Does the patient carried on the way of eating and all the other lifestyle change that happened we don't know that so that's where it comes from they'll tell you it's proven that it's effective but it's proven on short-term basis mostly mm -hmm. thank you for clarifying that because it does get confusing and that's you know because this is what is the norm this is totally. what's believed right and wanting to challenge it a bit because i think people listening kind of go, well but come on you know, that's what everyone believes. That's what's known. Yeah. Like, how can that not be true? Well, I'll tell you, everyone also believed that women, in order to be categorized as beautiful, have to be in a thin body. Mm. Is it true? No. It's an opinion, <laughs> right? It's not a fact. It's not like something you can take to court and have everybody agree on. There's different model of beauty. There's different personal like and dislike but everybody believes that you have to be small to be beautiful mm. we have to get ourselves out of that way of thinking that oh I just have to think like everyone else and then take the time to investigate your own belief and what you want to believe because you have the right to believe whatever you want so is this part of what you help people do is like shift their belief systems shift their thoughts open their eyes reshape your mind mm -hmm. not your body 
So instead of spending all this time reshaping your body in order to please be beautiful, be accepted, be healthier, be all the things in the world, invest that time in investigating your belief system, understanding your socialization based on your gender, based on your race, based on your sexual orientation, like what makes you who you are and how is society's thinking has impacted you. And then once you have a clear picture of that, is that how you want to live your life? Do you want to live your life believing that, for example, I'm a, I'm a woman, do I want to continue to believe that in order for me to be accepted by society as a woman, I need to be in a thin body? Hmm. And the answer today is no. But at 39, it was yes. Hmm. I want to believe that. Now today it's no. So today I don't live with that belief. Therefore, I don't have these thoughts and mm -hmm. I don't have the anxiety and I can live the life that I want without having to change my body. I changed my mind first. So let's go back to that time. So you're 39, yeah. you have this big events. You're still believing all these things. You are like yeah. fully like living your life as, you know, diet culture's gospel. Classic um, diet culture. Right now, like, yes, this is it. Um, so how did you get to this point? Like, what happened for you where you're like, I have to change something like fundamentally inside of me or hmm. like, I'm not going to get better. Like, that's a big leap, right? To get from like 39 yeah. to where you're at today. And I'm sure people are going, like, what, how do you get there? Like, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a big well, shift. Well, it's a lot if you think you have to get there in one move. Right. Or if you think you have to get there in one month, notice 10 mm -hmm. years. Now, okay. what was another reason why I decided to explore other ways mm -hmm. was because when I left the hospital, the my family doctor asked me to come and see him. And the solution to this serial panic attack I was under for the last two weeks was seven different medications. Oh. Anti-anxiety, anti-depression, and name it, I had them all. Hmm. Like it was like, so I remember leaving the doctor office with the script in my hand, you know, mm -hmm. the white paper with all the writing, and it had three pages. I'm like, it was like I right now as I'm walking down this corridor, I'm making a choice that's going to impact the rest of my life. And I was looking at that. I'm like, if I start these medications, I may never get off of them. Mm -hmm. And I went and filled some of them for a short term. I'm like, but I can't at 39 years old be under seven medication. What is it going to be when I'm 59, 49, 59, 69, right? Like if, if that's that bad at 39, was it going to be later? And that was a source of inspiration for me to go mm. seek different opinion, different options. Mm. That's that's not a lot of people right there. A lot of people would have been like, oh, my gosh, like, uh, all right, I'll take these. Sure. Right. Um, there's but something again. Why is that wrong? If that's what they choose to do. No, no, it's not wrong. But you chose exactly. something in you chose a different path. Right. Exactly. But there's no explanation for that. 
Christina. Like, I don't know. It was just like, I don't know, the right moment, some spiritual people or religious people will say God intervention. Mm -hmm. But what are those moments in your life where you have that gut feeling, Mm -hmm. that pull to like, something is wrong here. Like, like this is not right for me. Mm -hmm. Everybody has that. The question is, are you listening? Are you asking for help to follow that intuition, that guidance, that little voice, that gut feeling? Mm-hmm. Are you seeking help from you, from me, from other people around you to help you follow what you just know is right? You don't know why, but you just know is right for you. You know, and, you know, as you're saying that, I'm hoping there might be a moment someone's listening to maybe you right now and going, you know what? I'm so sick and tired of dieting. I'm so sick and tired of hating my body and trying to make it something different, batting my head against the wall time after time and struggling. And maybe I just want to just accept my body. I just want it to be okay. And I want to just stop thinking about what it's not and just live my life, right? Maybe somebody's listening and this is it. You can, you know, maybe it's you. <laughs> listening right now and that's the thing it could be the guest from last week it could be the guest from the following week right Mm -hmm. my voice is not meant to connect with everyone but i know it's meant to connect with i don't know five ten people listening to this right like if this is sounding like like Mm -hmm. this is right for me then reach out ask for help by the way i didn't do this alone Mm -hmm. and i like i didn't like did all this work by myself. I hired an intuitive eating coach. I hired multiple body image coach and therapist. Like I was in various therapies for like consecutively almost five years. Like I hired a fitness trainer. Like there's a shit ton of people that helped me get where I am today. Ask for help. I'm so glad you said that too, because I think that's another thing that people don't understand is you do need a village. You do need help. You cannot do this on your own because, you know, I don't know why there's that thought that, oh, I can do this on my own. Um, I don't need help. You do. <laughs> well, I think there's two reasons why. There's the shame around this topic. Mm-hmm. Right. When people think about not dieting, there's a shame, deep, deep, deep seated shame about not doing what everybody else is doing and what are people going to say? And like, on top of that, if I spend money getting help, like, mm-hmm. like there's a deep seated shame. And then there's a culture, like we're supposed to do life on our own. We're supposed to be independent, strong, and we're supposed to help other people. Who are we to ask for help? So I think those two things mm-hmm. are playing strongly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's, let's go back to this moment. You're like, okay, I've got the script. Yeah. And then Something in you just was like, mm, I'm going to do something mm-hmm. different. So, I mean, this is like a 10 year process, but um, I mean, fast forward to even now. So you I mean, obviously you've gotten all this change now, right? So now you're helping people. Like, was there a moment where you realized you had these beliefs that were faulty, that you were able to change them that you didn't have to believe everything that you thought that your thoughts were impacting your mood like was there this moment where like things started to really take some momentum for you I'm trying to remember if there's a like a visceral moment 
I don't, I can't recall one, but there was this person that I ended up hiring to help me with my mindset Mm -hmm. who lived her life in a fat body, the life that I wanted in secret. And she was out there into the world, like speaking to people and talking about the fat, the fact that she was fat and owning it and not being ashamed of it. And I was just looking at her for a few months. Like, is it possible for me? Like, how can it be possible for me to, to like be in that kind of energy and spirit and confidence? Hmm. And when I got into talking with her, she had a very similar story as me. And her moment for her was to look at the thoughts she was thinking about her body. And she made it really clear to me. And I'll invite people the same thing. I live in the body today. Talk about the size of my body. I live in the fat body today that I had when I was 38 years old. I was at the same weight and body size and dress size. And today I have no shame-based thoughts in my body. I do the things that I want to do. I dress my body. I wear short sleeve. So if the layer of fat on my body was the cause for me to feel shame and disgust with my body, I would feel shame and disgust today. Mm. And she really made me question that. Like if the layer of fat, if the cell of fat on your body are the cause of it, then I should be ashamed and disgusted. And I'm not. Why is that? And then she said something that I'm going to share with everyone. It's not the layer of fat on your body that creates the discomfort, the shame and the disgust is the thoughts about the layer of fat. And then like, just that broke my brain in two. (laughs) Like, and and then I got into the world of studying psychology. And now when you understand like how the brain and neuroscience work and all of that, you're like, clearly it is not the layer of fat that creates the nervous system reaction and the emotion is the thoughts and the beliefs. Oh, that makes so much sense. (laughs) And then that's propelled me on the path of really investigating all my thoughts and my belief And here's the thing. We don't talk about that in society. What creates your emotion? Mm -hmm. We just give you a solution like to like reduce anxiety. But how about if we took five minutes to learn how we create emotion in our life? Then we can impact at the creation level, not at the living anxiety and trying to numb it. We'd actually stop what creates it in the first place. Yeah. That would be nice. Or, you know, instead of just writing a script or, you know, manage it, numb it. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. So that's, I would say that was the moment. It's not the, the, the layer of fat on your body is the thought about the layer of fat on your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, take that in for a minute. Yeah, and here's another one. And this is my own creation that I use for women because I coach exclusively women, like mm-hmm. self-identified women. And the root of it all is the way we feel about our body, right? So we deep dive into that. And one of the new belief I suggest to women when they start is my body is a tool to experience my life. Hmm. 
instead of what we all been taught, my tool is a sign of my worth. Hmm. So let's do the work to shift that belief, flip, flip it. And like, let's do the work to learn to believe my tool. My body is a tool to experience my life. And in fact, it is by science, all my geeky science people, your body is the bear holder of your senses, your taste, your hearing, your vision, the way you experience life is through your senses and your senses are carried in your body. So your body is truly the tool for you to experience your life. And men, people that we raise as men, that's how they think about their body. <laughs> my body is a vehicle for me to do my life. Mm. They never think their body is a sign of their worth. Why are we thinking like that as women? Yeah, we're socialized, right? Bingo. So if we shift that one belief, how much impact would it have on our eating disorder or disordered eating pattern in the way we care for our health? from a mental, emotional, like we'll be able to release the obsession with physical health and then voluntarily look at mental, emotional, and spiritual health because it's no longer my body is a sign of my worth. So that's my invitation for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that you said that too, Stephanie, because, um, you know, having gone through my own journey, that was actually, I mean, I didn't have you through it, but that was a huge shifting point for me too, is like, wow, like I get to go walk and I can go like travel and I can do, do all this cool stuff, but I can't do that if I'm like so fixated on like what I look like. Like, you know, it was amazing. I was like, I, I only have one body. I'm taking care of this thing. Like it was a huge shift. So yes, to your point, like that right there, what you just said, amazing. I mean, and then we could do a whole other podcast on feminism and the misinterpretation that women have of feminism. And when you think about feminism in this other way that is non-suppressing of men, but you think about it about us claiming back our power, it has a huge part to play in you releasing diet culture. Huge one. Yeah, I'll have you back for that one. Seriously. Yeah, well, well like this is a whole other topic. <laughs> it but is. To me, yeah. if you ask, like, what's the other ingredient of the reason why you are today is like, realizing what feminism is and how it's liberating to my relationship to food, body, and health. Okay. We're doing it's that not one. about crushing men. No. <laughs> Nothing to do with that. <laughs> this has about liberating me from all this crap from diet culture. Love it. Oh gosh. Stephanie, we and we couldn't talk forever. Um I know. so <laughs> so you you do um help lots of people you you know I did have somebody on the podcast that uh, works with you and trains under you um so you know therapists and um you know people going Dietitian, through their, yeah. all of that yeah so you know if the, there's a professional out there that wants to work with you get trained under you or if there's people who are struggling yeah. with food that you know want to work with you or get your program how can people find you so since we're on a podcast how about if we send them to my podcast Going okay. Beyond the Food podcast. It's been running for seven years. There's 380 plus episodes. And then come to my website, w.stephaniedoze.com. And then my spin, my uniqueness is going through the mind first to access the liberation of food and body image. 
Fantastic. That'll all be in the show notes. So don't worry. You didn't write it down. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> all right. Any last final words for everybody before we end? Your body is a tool to experience life. I'll leave you with that and just have that seep into you and see how much impact that can have on your life. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Christina. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find 